Good morning, Chapel Hill. Happy Christmas season. Uh, you are going to need your Bibles once again, so go ahead and get your Bibles out. Open up your Bible apps. If you do not have a Bible, we can loan you one right now. And In fact, you can have it if you want it, but just put your hands up if you don't have a Bible, and our ushers will get you one that you can follow along in, and uh, we'll help you figure out where you're going in that as the time comes. Um, lots of stuff that we're going to cover today in the Bible. All right, welcome to our family service, first of two for today. Um, kids in the back. Give me your attention for a second, kids and grown-ups. How many of you have seen the old classic Disney movie, Finding Nemo? How many of you have seen Finding Nemo? All right, good. Finding Nemo is this incredible classic story. It's about this clownfish named Nemo, and it's about him living with his dad near the drop-off in the ocean, this scary place where his dad doesn't want him to go. And so his, his dad's trying to set him up, let him know, like, there is danger at the drop-off. Do not go to the drop-off. And he warns him of all these things that might happen there. And um, I'm going to show you a clip now of what happens and what Nemo actually does. And so are you ready for this? You get a little bonus today. You get a clip from Finding Nemo. All right? Watch the video. All right, there it was, pivotal moment in the movie where Nemo actually disregards what his dad is telling him, and he swims off out beyond the drop-off, and boy, does he get into trouble. And the rest of the movie is the story of how Nemo's dad sets out to rescue Nemo after he gets caught by that diver. Now, kids, this morning I'm going to talk about a story that is even greater than finding Nemo. It's about someone going their own way in spite of being warned and how their father set out to rescue them. Now, back there on the tables, you will find all kinds of things that you can do while I'm talking. There's some great activities there. Um, there's even a clownfish in a little fish tank back there on your table. So uh, it's not live, um, by the way. Those of you who are really feeling like you missed out up here and are rushing to the back, they're not live. All right. Um, so let me tell you a story then about a father setting out to rescue someone who is really important to him. Um, this is the first week of the Christmas season. This morning, I want to introduce our theme for this season, for this year. I'm calling this series of messages, Come See What Your God Has Done. My goal is that we will, once again, and maybe more than ever, be filled with wonder over the Christmas story. Now, we're going to start the series today. We're going to continue it two weeks from today. Next Sunday is, of course, as mentioned, our annual Christmas program. And so can I encourage you with something? Christmas programs are a great opportunity to invite people to come and experience the church. They really are. And to show them the true meaning of Christmas, um, bring somebody with you this coming Saturday or Sunday. Uh, it is a great program. The kids have been working really hard um, to, to present this, and, and they get, they understand the message behind this musical, behind Christmas. They've been working on this for months and learning all about the story, not just learning their lines and their dance moves. Um, so be here. Saturday or Sunday, bring guests. Um, you're, you're not going to be disappointed. It is a wonderful musical. So I want to introduce this morning's message with a story. And sadly, it is a true story. Um, and sadly, it stars me. Uh, a couple of months ago... 
we lost one of our vehicles in an accident. And there should be a picture up here coming up. No picture? No. Oh, all right. You ruined my whole message. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> all right. We got into an accident a couple months ago, and we lost one of our cars. It's gone. Uh, it, was a, it was a crazy kind of an accident. Um, I was leaving Prior Lake where we live, and I was, had pulled up to a stoplight, and I was just waiting to turn right. And I'm just sitting there at the intersection, minding my own business. Cross traffic is going back and forth in front of me. And the speed limit is 50 on the road in front of me. And what I watched unfold was this ridiculous accident where there's a vehicle coming from this direction and one coming from this direction. I'm sitting over here waiting to turn right. The vehicle coming this way, green lights both way, the vehicle, vehicle coming this way, sees that there is a flashing yellow arrow and completely ignores the fact that that means proceed with caution and just, yay, we're up on the screen. All right, good. And so this, uh, this vehicle, uh, this one right here, big SUV, um, came flying through that intersection going this way. This car right here, which was an Avalon, was coming this way, and that's our car. Um, and I was sitting facing that way um, to turn right on that road, okay? So this SUV comes flying through the intersection, doesn't even look up, and turns left. Now, the, the Avalon's coming along doing about 55. And that SUV turned right in front of the Avalon. And, and the Avalon slammed that SUV, hit it so hard that it slid across the intersection into me. So I'm watching this thing come straight at me, and it was wild, and pretty soon I find myself turned around and up on the sidewalk facing the other direction. It was an unbelievable accident. Uh, now, amazingly, no one was even hurt, uh, including the guy doing 55 in the Avalon who broadsided a large SUV. He got out and walked away. He was the first one to check on everyone else to make sure that we were okay. It was wild. Um, now, being 10 years old and having 185,000 miles on it, our car, the little Corolla, was a write-off, and this was the last time I ever saw it before it was towed away to a junkyard. Now, here's where the story gets sad. When the accident happened, which I saw up close, obviously, and I watched that SUV sliding towards me at high speed and was spun around and everything stopped, what was my first reaction? How did I respond? Well, my immediate response was concern for the two drivers of the other vehicles that had collided because I knew that I was the one who was least impacted by that accident, by the collision, and therefore it was up to me to make sure that everyone was all right, is what I'd like to say happened. <laughs> Instead, my response to what had just happened was, what idiot just ruined my day? <laughs> In that moment, I had a significant lapse in memory. I forgot three very important things. I forgot who I am. I forgot who God is. And I forgot who the drivers of the other vehicles are. 
I forgot that I am a redeemed child of my creator. I forgot that my eternity is secure. I forgot that my well-being is in God's hand. I forgot that I am made in God's image. I bear the image of a compassionate, loving, selfless father who longs to redeem everyone and everything that he's created. I forgot that even in an emergency like the one that was unfolding in that moment, my strength and peace come from the God of the universe. I forgot that I am a light in the darkness. I forgot that I am an ambassador of heaven. I forgot who God is. I forgot that he is present in every moment. I forgot that he hurts when his creation hurts. I forgot that he is the all-sufficient answer to whatever we face. I forgot that he has a plan and purpose for my life, no matter what the circumstances. I forgot that he is merciful, gracious, and just. I forgot that he has called me to be his representative in every given moment. I forgot who the other drivers are. I forgot that they need Jesus as much as I do and that this tragedy was an opportunity for them to encounter God. I forgot that, like me, they make mistakes, not because they're terrible people, but because they have the same struggles I do. I forgot that they need mercy, grace, forgiveness, and so much more that only God can offer them. I forgot that they needed someone to demonstrate the love and peace of God when their lives were pretty badly shaken with what had happened. Now, this is so easy to see and say when I look back on things. But what happened in that moment, when the sound of the crash was still echoing in my ears, well, what, what really happened was this. I saw my problem. My problem showed its face once again. And what is that problem? Well, I have a sin problem. Now, don't go jumping the gun here. Yes, I have been forgiven by God and I belong to him. Yes, I am being redeemed by God every moment of every day, even in that moment. Yes, Jesus dealt with my sin and yours on the cross. Yes, I'm working on not sinning, but I still have a sin problem. We all do. Because we all have a sin nature that's being redeemed. The price for that sin nature has been paid in full. We have been saved, but we are still working out that salvation day by day because we have not been perfected yet. We still have in us the ability to do the wrong thing in any situation. Self is still in the picture. In spite of what God has done for us through Jesus, our self is still present. And no matter how little power self may have, self still has too much power. We still have the, the capacity to be self-centered, selfish, self-serving, self-preserving, self-promoting. Self still has too much power and we truly cannot help ourselves because self is the problem. We still put self first too often and we give in to what self wants. That's our sin nature, still at work alongside our new nature, the nature of Jesus Christ. As we come to the Christmas season each year, I find myself doing what I think many of us do. 
I find myself thanking God for the hope that he offers in the midst of challenging circumstances. Things are hard. The world around us is headed in a dangerous direction. We are all victims of negative things we can't control, like aging, disease, war, and on the list goes. And this is all true. Things are hard. And so at Christmas, we celebrate the fact that Jesus came to bring hope and peace into a troubled world. And that's exactly what we should do. We should celebrate that. But there's a thought that's consuming me this year as we approach Christmas. At the center of that thought is me. Not in a bad, selfish way. I'm not focused on what I want, but rather than being focused on the mess this world has become, I'm focused on me. Because as my car accident story and many, many more stories that I won't share with you this morning revealed, I am also a mess. I need the message of Christmas for me. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not denying the fact that this world needs the message of Christmas. That's still front of mind for me. I'm not going to stop praying for a world that, that God's heart aches over, mine aches too. But I realize that if I stay focused on the world's circumstances, I'm going to focus solely on a God who has something to offer them. Well, this year I'm including me in the picture. Why? Because I need to be reminded of just how much God offers me in the amazing story of Christmas. The way that I view myself impacts the way that I view God at Christmas. The more I realize just how much I need Jesus, the more I realize just how great God's love is. What God did in sending Jesus only grows greater in my eyes when I see myself in the picture. But I need to have an accurate view of myself in this picture. This is not just about me feeling bad for what I do. The message of Christmas is not a message of guilt and shame. The message is about who God is and who I am in light of who he is. And so as we think about and pray for others this Christmas, and as we think about and pray for our world, let's add ourselves to that picture. We have a sin problem. We can't solve our problem ourselves. We are nothing without God, and an accurate understanding of who we are in the Christmas message will ultimately help us see who God is in the story, and Christmas gets even better. The Bible gives us some incredible examples of people who saw themselves in light of how much they need God. Throughout the Bible, there are men and women who stand before God see themselves in comparison, and make statements that help guide us in this realization. Isaiah is one such example. In Isaiah 6, we see Isaiah having a vision of God. The vision in which he saw God on his throne, surrounded by seraphs, which are heavenly beings that are somewhat like angels, with the ground shaking and the room filled with smoke, leads Isaiah to say this, he says, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
Isaiah was a prophet. He spoke for God. It seems to me like he would have had the right to focus on the needs of the sinful world around him, not on his own shortcoming. But Isaiah gets lost in the majesty of God and he recognizes right away that he is unworthy to stand in the presence of God. Yes, even Isaiah the prophet. How much more should I be aware of who I am in God's presence? On to David, another example of someone who should stand proudly before God because he was, after all, called a man after God's own heart. He was, after all, the king of Israel, which is no small thing. Turn to Psalm 8. We have a few passages that we're going to look at now. The first one's from David. Listen to his perspective. Psalm chapter 8, Psalm 8, verses 1 to 4. And this is what David writes. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Again, not a cut on himself. David didn't have low self-esteem. This is just a statement that he is in no way comparable to God. He needs God. God is far above him. And David knows he doesn't deserves, deserve God's attention and care. The stories that surround Jesus' time on earth have the same kind of message for us about ourselves. Like, for instance, the story of the centurion who displayed great faith in Jesus. So turn now to Matthew chapter 8. This is a great story. Matthew 8, I'm going to read verses 5 to 13. This is what it says. When he, Jesus, had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he, Jesus, said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and I say to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Well, the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out into the, the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant, his servant was healed at that very moment. Do you see the humility in the centurion statement? I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. The centurion's focus was clearly on Jesus' ability and not on his own circumstances. He simply saw who he was in the presence of Jesus and he saw the posture that he should take. Love these examples. A few more. This time it comes from a woman who also encountered Jesus and also demonstrated the posture 
that I want to have as I approach the Christmas season. Now this one may rub us the wrong way as we listen to Jesus' words to this woman in Matthew 15. But she was so spot on in her response to him. This is Matthew 15, verses 21 to 28. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus complimented her faith. He saw faith in her humility before him. On her knees, speaking of crumbs, asking for mercy, she pleads with her Lord. And I take away an incredible message from that. Okay, a couple more short ones. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus is assembling his team. He borrows a fisherman's boat to teach a crowd from. He used it as his platform. Then he tells the owner of the boat, Peter, to get out to deep water and cast out his nets one more time. And when the miracle happens and the nets fill to the point of breaking, Peter has a reaction to all that's happening. In Luke 5, verse 8, this is what Peter says to Jesus. He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter was already referring to Jesus as master at that point. He even called him Lord in his statement of humility. This was Peter's posture. Last one, Paul this time, in one of his letters to Timothy, Paul writes of the strength that he receives from Jesus. Paul marvels at the fact that Jesus had chosen him to serve his kingdom, and after marveling and mentioning God's mercy, grace, and love towards him, Paul says this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost or the worst. Paul had a sin problem. You and I have a sin problem. Even if we think that we can compare ourselves to Paul's history and come out on top because we were never that horrible. And Jesus is the only answer to our sin problem. So it would do us well to heed Paul's words in Romans 12, 3, where he instructs followers of Jesus not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Any status we might be tempted to claim comes from the faith that God has given us, not from our own merit. 
What I hope I never do is lose sight of just how much God sending Jesus means to me. I have not arrived. I have not freed myself from the problem that sin presents in my life. I am still capable of doing things that go directly against God's design for me and for my life. Therefore, I need God daily. I need the love that God demonstrated in sending his son, Jesus, daily. Shortly before his crucifixion, Jesus did something unthinkable. He kneeled down on the floor and washed the feet of his disciples. Now try to put yourself in that scene. Jesus washing your feet. Jesus lowering himself to the lowest point to serve you. Jesus removing the dirt that the world throws at you on a daily basis. And why did he do this? Jesus washed his disciples' feet to show them that he would be there daily for us to wash away the effect that sin still has on you and me. In light of all that, church, what is our posture before Jesus? What's happening in our minds and our hearts as we approach the story of God sending his son? Are we just focused on how much this world needs Jesus? It does. I'll never deny that or stop praying for that. I'll do my best to increase my awareness of how much the people around me need Jesus for the rest of my life. But I don't want to leave myself out of this picture. I need Jesus. And my posture comes down to this. I don't deserve Jesus. If Peter and Paul and the others that we looked at this morning didn't think that they deserved Jesus, how could I? Christmas represents the day and the way that God reached out to his creation to save it. The Christmas story includes the story of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. In Luke 1, there's a record of Zechariah's prophecy. And in that prophecy, in verse 68, Zechariah says this. He said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. God came to earth to save us. Yes, he came to save the world, but of course that world includes us, you and me. And maybe not so obviously that saving is an ongoing process. You and I are saved and you and I are in the process of working out our salvation as Paul puts it in Philippians 2. Sadly, we still do things that make us so undeserving of what God does for us. So in light of that problem, that sin, we have a challenge in front of us. That challenge is to never forget that we don't deserve what Jesus is doing for us daily. We don't deserve it, but we do need it desperately. That daily work that God's doing in us, that daily foot washing that Jesus is offering us, we can't live without that. And without God sending his son Jesus to save us once for all and daily, there would be no way that we could ever save ourselves. This Christmas, put yourself back in the scene. 
God sent Jesus to save an undeserving world, not that world out there, a world that includes you and me. And we are invited and encouraged to take a posture of total humility, considering the fact that we don't deserve to be saved. We don't deserve to have Jesus visit us. We don't deserve to have Jesus teaching us. We don't deserve to have Jesus guiding us. We don't deserve to have Jesus washing our feet daily. So this Christmas, come and see what your God has done for you. Every day he pursues us. Will he find us every day? And when he finds us, how will we respond to him? What will our posture be? This is Communion Sunday. Um, Today, even at the start of the Christmas season, we're reminded of all that Jesus has done for us. As we come to the table and share the bread and the cup together, what will our posture be? Will this simple ritual remind us of the fact that we don't deserve what Jesus has done for us? Will it remind us of how much we truly need him? So as you come to the table this morning, come and see what your God has done. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Let me give you just a little bit of instruction as we come to share communion If you're at the tables in the back, the elements of communion are there, and you can take those when you're ready as we sing the next few songs together. Take some time to pause and remember and share communion at your tables. For those of you sitting in the seats up here, the elements are here at the tables in front. When you are ready, just come down the center aisle and get your elements. You can go back to your seat and take it there when you're ready. You can You can come and kneel before the cross. You can find a a quiet space somewhere just to, to share it with your family or just be by yourself. But as you're ready, come. Come and see what your God has done. Because in sending Jesus, he brought us back into relationship with him. And today, maybe you just need to be reminded of the fact that this day, in this moment, You need Jesus to wash your feet like he did for his disciples. You need him to cleanse you. And that cleansing is represented in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. His body was given in obedience so that, so that we didn't have to suffer what he did. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins so that we could stand before God, holy and blameless, still vulnerable to sin, but with a Savior right next to us who washes our feet daily to cleanse us of what the world leaves on us daily. So come in a spirit of remembrance and thanksgiving for all that God has done for you through Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. And then when you're ready, come and take communion. Father, I praise you for what you have done. This morning we do come and we see what you have done for us. As we enter this Christmas season, Lord, I pray that you would help us to maybe put ourselves back in the picture this year and understand just how much you have done for us, just how significant it is that you sent your son Jesus 
as a sacrifice for us, for this world. And then you set out carrying, carrying out your redemptive work, which you are doing in each one of our lives, you're doing in the life of this church, you're doing in this world. We praise you for that work that you're doing. We praise you for the body of Jesus given willingly in our place, facing your wrath so that we don't have to. We praise you for the blood of Jesus Christ by which we are forgiven. We praise you for that daily, ongoing salvation in which Jesus kneels down and washes our feet every day. So Lord, we come to you this morning in a spirit of humility. We come knowing that we don't deserve what you've done for us. But we praise you for it and thank you for it from the bottom of my heart. We do this in the name of Jesus Christ, your son.